Welcome to the Clear the Shelf podcast with Chris and Chris, the show that meets at the intersection of education and entertainment to discuss online arbitrage, retail arbitrage, wholesale, and all facets of selling on Amazon. We'll bring you news, tactics, strategies, insights, stories, and interviews to help you grow your Amazon business. And now, here are your hosts, Chris Grant and Chris Rasick. What is going on, everybody, and welcome to another week of Clear the Shelf podcast with myself, Chris Grant, and my astute co-host, Chris Rasick. Uh, This week, we've got a guest who I've had the pleasure of interviewing several times, Uh, one of the co-founders of Vendrive, uh, GoAura the Repricer, uh, and the newly minted PrepCenter.com, Dylan Carter. Dylan, thanks for being here this week, man. I appreciate you. this week, we're going to dive into uh, a bunch of topics. Uh, well, I know that we're probably going to meander down the trail into productivity, uh, processes, and we'll also probably talk a little bit about Q4 and how you can crush the, the upcoming season. Uh, but first, we've got a little bit of news, and this was, I don't know, it was big-ish news. Uh, I figured that there was going to be a little bit more uproar in the community than there was, but... Uh, it just feels like another Thursday whenever there is a, a fee increase on sellers uh, anymore. So, But what you should know is that there is an increase in fulfillment fees coming this Q4. That is, of course, on top of uh, increased storage fees, which will happen. Uh, they, have not, um, they have not repealed the uh, inflation surcharge is what I believe they called it quite yet, even though gas prices have come down quite a bit. I'm sure they're just waiting just a little bit longer, and, and then they'll they'll take that away. Um, but the fulfillment fees are going to be going up just a little bit, and I thought some of the wording that they used was interesting. Uh, and in my opinion, you've really got to pay attention to the way that Amazon writes, uh, because you'll notice a lot of times when they write things, they'll say things like, uh, in our store. So they're kind of letting us know where we are. You know, we are selling partners, but it is Amazon store. And they kind of, you know, let you know that every time they write one of these posts. Uh, but Amazon stated that due to increased costs, they must institute an increase in the fulfillment fee similar to other carriers. And the reason I thought that was interesting is because Amazon's obviously thinking of themselves as a carrier similar to UPS, USPS, things like that. And we know that's been a growing segment of their business. Uh, I think we talked about it once on the pod with, um, oh, what was that, where they're doing the uh, pickup and delivery from local stores and things like that. So uh, it's kind of interesting. But the average fee Amazon says will be $0.35 cents per item. That is on a sliding scale. Uh, and there's another Chris in the Amazon space. His name's Chris Potter. Uh, he put together a, a really quick but a really good Uh, spreadsheet of what the new fees will be compared to the current fees. Uh, And rather than go through all of that, you can, I posted it on my Instagram uh, with a, uh, you know, tagged him, of course. Uh, But make sure that you are paying attention to that because it will, you know, will affect the bottom line this coming Q4. You want to make sure you're sourcing properly and things like that. Uh, Do you guys have any thoughts on, this did you expect it or you know uh what do you think about it i think they uh they took a page out of the the ticket master 
uh, fee pricing schedule. You know, you, you buy a $45 ticket and it ends, rings out at, at $79.50 by the time you're done. Um, I, I was a, a little bit surprised, um, especially, I mean, it makes sense now that you mentioned it, that the probably overlap this with the fuel surcharge uh, that was temporary, air quotes. Um, you know, they might double dip for a little bit, but hopefully that gets repealed. Um, but I, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, my profit margins are so big and I don't have problems with price tanking at all. So this is easily absorbable, uh, absorbed. So and they just a, just a hint of sarcasm there. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not really surprising. Um, Amazon's a massive company. You, you really have to think about these things from Amazon, the company. Right. Like what would they be doing to continue to grow? They're doing a lot of acquisitions. They're going into new, new verticals. Um, so there's like two major ways they're probably going to grow and go into new areas and continue to optimize profitability in others, right? So they're going to be looking at things with a fine tooth comb and finding these little things, right? Because that 30, 35 cents per item, not that big of a deal per item, but you add that up over the number of units being moved that's another yacht, you know what I mean? <laughs> like that's, that's quite, quite sizable. So it's not surprising. I mean, Amazon, Amazon fees are always going to go up. They always have, right? So it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those things like an emergency fund, right? You don't know what, like you can't plan for a emergency, like a specific one, but you can plan for something happening. So just go ahead and assume they will continue to increase. We can't tell you how, but they probably will. Yeah, I, I agree. Marketplace Pulse put out a, a pretty good, uh, pretty good article on the the way that fees have increased over the past two years. They've gone up about thirty percent across the board. And I I don't know I don't know what the future looks looks like, of course, uh, but I would imagine that you know if Walmart gets their act together, maybe uh, you know maybe they give Amazon a little bit of a run for their money. But that's I still think that's probably a decade down the road before they're actually a formidable opponent to Amazon uh, if they can get that, you know, actually done. So unfortunately for now, since Amazon's really the only sandbox, uh, you know, where everybody wants to be, they kind of, they kind of can do what they want. Uh, And I I know that I don't think they mean us harm. uh, Like I think some sellers might think Uh, I I know that there's probably some reasons for it, but uh, at times it does suck, but uh, let's move on from the from the the sad news, and uh, I want to go with a listener question, and then we're going to get down into kind of a, a little roundtable chat. So this week, the listener question comes from Jessica, uh, and she says, I'm enjoying your podcast, so we, we appreciate that. Uh, but I'd like to hear your take on dead inventory. In what situations do you hold, and when do you liquidate? I'd like to free up uh, more cash for Q4 by moving stale inventory. Um, so I'm going to let you guys go first, uh, and then I'll uh, I'll drop my opinion on the uh, on the back end. That's a that's a good question uh, with you here, Dylan. Um, <laughs> I'll I'll do uh, my personal my recent preferences. Um, I find myself not waiting it out too much anymore. Um, it, it uh, I, and I don't, I'm not sure if I have any like evidence or whether that's just kind of uh, uh, going by feel, but uh, yeah, if it if I get anything that that crosses like 60 days, um, I'm looking to liquidate. 
you know, um, I, I'm leaning and, and I wasn't always like that. You know, I, I, uh, I used to try to wait it out and, and, but I think I like to think that I'm getting more seasoned as a seller and, and I'm kind of falling less in love with my fines and my buys and stuff, you know, I, cause I used to get attached and, and I don't, I don't think that's uncommon, uh, you know, with new sellers, um, you know, you get really excited about something and the numbers are great. And, and, you know, um, there's that resentment when the price tanks or a bunch of sellers jump on and, and, uh, you know, you, you want to wait it out just because there's uh you know, there's something personal attached to it. You know, there's some loyalty, uh, to that ASIN and I'm getting away from it. You know, I, I think it's far more important, you know, the longer I go in, in this journey and, and, you know, the more I network and talk to other sellers and stuff, I'm realizing how important the capital is. I've joked before about being an eternal test buyer, you know, so I don't go deep on anything, you know, so it's, so I'm constantly, I always have new products, new ASINs, you know, that I can buy into. So that kind of stresses, that kind of emphasizes the importance of the capital, you know, I'm more willing to, to accept that it was a bad buy or at the very least bad timing. So um, if it crosses 60 days, I, I'm looking to, uh, to get my capital back. I've always been a little bit more aggressive. Um, I, I kind of learned the hard way. So I'm a finance major, so I kind of geek out with this, this kind of stuff, right? There's the, the present value of money, right? <clears throat> so where a lot of sellers get stuck um, is holding inventory and treating it as a flip. Amazon's not a flipping game, right? It's a volume game. And it's one big compound equation. That's all it is, right? So the quintessential example I, I tend to give is you can take $10,000, and you can spend that once in a month. And let's say you get 20% ROI on that, right? So once in a month, or you can spend it twice in a month. And what I mean here is you can spend it for two weeks worth of inventory instead of 30 days. And let's say you only get, I don't know, 12%, right? So it's lower, right? You made less money. However, you got that 12%, you took the 10 grand, the original investment plus the 12%, you reinvested it again for another two weeks and you got an additional 12%. You made more money. Right. So a lot of sellers really miss out on on the liquidity aspect here. Right. When you start to grow, I, I've always said you're in one of two phases. You're in the I have some, if not a lot of capital, but not a lot of inventory. Then you quickly figure out sourcing. And now you have a ton of inventory you could purchase. Now, the biggest bottleneck for growth is going to be capital. So you have a few options here. You can go raise debt. You can go sell some equity, right? Bring in a partner, so to speak. Um, or you can get really, really efficient with your capital. A lot of sellers miss this aspect. I was talking to a seller, this was probably a year ago now, she was trying to raise 20,000 in, uh, in debt to keep growing the business. So I was like, well, why don't you look at your inventory first? And she had 30,000 sitting there and sell inventory that's been there for three months, right? And I'm like, hey, listen, move it. She's like, yeah, but I'm waiting for the market to come back, okay. It's not, you lost your money, you, right? You, you either make your money or you lose your money when you buy, not when you sell. I know it's a weird concept. Um, if you don't buy right, you lost, period, right? And you can wait all day long, but for every day you wait for that sale inventory, you're taking on more fees in, in terms of long-term storage fees over time, as well as the missed opportunity costs of you paid 30 bucks for it, you're only gonna get 15 back, guess what? It may, it may have taken you three months to sell that at break even, but you could have taken that $15 out today 
and turn that $15 into $1,000 in the same three-month period of time. So a lot of the sellers are like, well, I don't want to be unprofitable, but you are. You're just not seeing it quite yet. And so you really need to start thinking through the opportunity cost of these things um, and, and how efficient your capital is being. If you got, like for me, like, yeah, I think 60 days is a really good starting point. Honestly, I think 30 or less. Like you start hitting 30 days, it needs to start moving. And I don't mean like lose your money. I don't mean like tank it. But what I do mean is once you get to that 30 day mark, you need to start having a serious conversation of would you be happy taking half the ROI today to respend to get something more profitable tomorrow? Most likely that's going to be the case. And ideally what you're doing is you're putting together a process, a system here. So you're kind of getting rid of the relationship with your inventory. <laughs> I, we all do it, right? You get that first thing. You're like, oh my God, this is so cool. Um, I remember I, I went to uh, Tuesday mornings and I would buy these Spanish grandpa and grandma dolls and they're the coolest thing. And like nobody sold them. They're super profitable. But at the end of the day, it's inventory and we can find new things and we need to really start thinking about our businesses from systems and, and, and kind of data points. Um, I, I think it's going to help people make a lot better decisions, but it is tough. Mm -hmm. If you have stale inventory, you already lost your money. Go ahead and get it, get what you can back now. <laughs> Cause right now you're not making any returns on that capital. Yeah. I mean, you guys, you guys said it probably better than I can. Uh, but I agree with both of you guys. It, it, it needs to be moved. You cannot, uh, cannot become romantically involved with your inventory as, as easy as it is to do. Uh, you know, it's, uh, and, and I don't know, you can kind of, you, you could feel bad about it because it's like, oh, well, I made a decision and well, that decision is really, it was not a good one. Uh, or it can feel that way, even though market dynamics can change and, and things like that. So it's not necessarily your fault because we cannot, uh, you know, predict the future. But you've got to let it go. You got to get that that money back so you can move it again. I did a, uh, I wrote a Twitter thread about the speed of money a couple of weeks ago or two weeks ago, and actually laid out the math of. I think it was taking a fifty percent ROI compared to taking a twenty percent ROI. Uh, and things like that. And with a 20% ROI, I think flipping once a month compared to a 50% ROI once every two months, the difference was 11xing your money or 14xing your money. Uh, and so it really, the compound really is powerful. Uh, so yeah, Jessica, get that stale inventory out of there, get that cash back, uh, and go into Q4 with a, a fat stack ready to spend on hopefully what's really good inventory, uh, you know, in the best selling time of the year. So, all right. That was, uh, that was a good question. Um, let's go ahead. Let's, let's talk a little bit about processes and, and things like that. I know that you could geek out about this for hours and hours, Dylan. So, uh, we'll try not to do that and, and won't keep you here too late, but, uh, I was, <clears throat> we talked a little bit before, you know, in our, in our, uh, notes here, but you talked about the difference between building a business and a company. And I'm curious to get your takes on that. Yeah, this is something I learned um, probably too late. But w once I started to transition from building a business to building a company, it really clicked. The difference for me when you're building a business and neither one is better than the other. Right. Let me just clarify that now. But I do want to create a very clear distinction so that people can intentionally choose what they're trying to build, because a lot of people are 
desiring one, but executing like the other. And that becomes really a problem. So for me, a business is something that pays your bills, does kind of okay. Like, I mean, honestly, like a business could do a million dollars a year, no questions about it. But what you are lacking is structure. What you're lacking is building a team. What you are lacking is something that you could exit at a certain point, right? A lot of people don't want to talk about this for some reason. It, you know, a lot of people are in that mindset of, I, I just need to quit my job. I want to do this full time. And that's fantastic. What comes next? Even if you're not there yet, you need to start thinking about ultimately, what the heck do you want to do here? You know, going full time is such an incredible milestone, but it comes quicker than a lot of people realize. And then they're stuck with this question of what the heck do I do now? And that's difficult. So you need to understand what world you're operating in. So a business is not going to be a team necessarily. Um, you're, you're, you don't have a process, right? You don't have a system. You don't, have, you don't really have a machine, a company as the inverse of that has employees, has team members. Here's a big difference between the two. In a business, you're hiring people to replace you, but they're not as skilled or as intelligent as you are in those areas. In a company, you're intentionally hiring people highly, like way more intelligent than you are and way more experienced than you are. When I hire a marketing person to come into Aura, I expect them to come in and be like, how are you still here? Like, what have you been doing this whole time, right? There's a big difference here. And ultimately, if you want to build a business that you could step away from or you could sell and exit um, or that you could really just, you know, grow to incredible heights, it takes building a company, not a business. So if you want to build a multi seven, eight, nine figure business, you can, but you have to approach it differently. I hear a lot of times where, Somebody will say, you know, I want to, I want to do nine figures uh, in revenue. I'm like, awesome. You know, what, what kind of team do you think you need to build? Oh, well, I don't want to manage employees. I don't want to do, do all these things. Okay, here's another big differentiator. A business, in terms of the, the owner, doesn't grow as fast. A company founder has to grow and learn so quickly. And these two things are different. Again, one is not better than the other. But it, it, it is different in how you approach the work, right? So a lot of business owners get stuck in this, I don't know marketing, so not going to do it, or I'm just going to go get a VA to do it, which is not entirely wrong. But here's a big difference. As a founder, I'm going to go zero to 80 as quickly as I can to learn it, figure it out, and start executing. Once I've proven it, now I'm going to go hire somebody who actually knows what the heck they're doing and can scale it. It does come down to scale to a lot of degree, right? You want to be super lean, efficient, and scalable. You have to be able to hand things over. Like when we handed over support, because I did support for the first two years, two, two, two and a half years as, as one of the founders full time. When I handed that over, I had a package ready to go. This was knowledge. This was documentation. This was KPIs. I had never done that job previous to me taking that on, right? So as business owners, as founders, and I like the term founder more than business owner these days because it has a different connotation. As a founder, my sole role is to take something and, and figure it out, right? I'm a problem solver at the end of the day. I take something from zero to 80% to prove it. And then I go and hire somebody to take it from that 80 to 100%. So 
the task you're doing, the way you're thinking about the business is slightly different. When people say get outside the business, a lot of times this is kind of what they're talking about. It's understanding the, the cause and effect here. What's the biggest growth levers and the biggest bottlenecks? Great. Problem, solution, problem, solution. Um, being able to be a freaking learning magnet. Like I, I, it's so crazy when, when I talk to sellers and, you know, they get stuck on this one thing in the conversation. They're like, I just, this thing is just weird to me. I was like, great. How many hours are you throwing at it to figure it out? Oh, well, I'm not. Okay. We can't avoid, <laughs> you can't say you want growth and then avoid the things that would lead to growth. Um, but a lot of people are not having this level of conversation because it is kind of blunt, right? It's not really, you know, hoorah, it's going to be all great. It's like, no, we're in the trenches right now, <laughs> right? Like, I'm hiring a marketing person right now. I've never hired a marketing person. I never did marketing up until recently. <laughs> Great, let's go figure that out. And so it's it's cultivating a different type of skill set, and it's fun at the end of the day. Like it's really cool because all you're doing is solving really tough, challenging problems. But every mm -hmm. time you do so, the business just gets to that next level and is capable of getting to that next level. It's kind of like when people say. Um, who you, you know, who you were got you to here, but who you need to become to get there is different. It's the same thing for the business, right? The business is not capable of doing seven figures. Then why would we, and why would we expect it to be right? So we need to start thinking about these things, right? Like even with, when I had the Amazon business, I didn't quite get to this scale, but in hindsight, I'm like, man, I, I could have hired somebody and trained them to do nothing but sourcing brands for me. And I wouldn't actually give that to a VA. Like, heck no, I'm going to find the best salesperson I know. I'd be like, hey, I'm going to pay you commission, pay you salary, whatever, but come on and, and take that on, right? There's a difference between building a team where you're still responsible for everything and hiring and building a team where they're taking on ownership. They're not just doing what you're telling them to do. They're telling you what needs to get done and they're doing it. You know, that's cool. It's, it's a whole other ball game. Um, and it's, it's, it sounds like a big difference and it is, but making that transition is actually not as difficult as you think it is. To be honest, a lot of sellers need to get outside the Amazon world. I learned this the hard way with software, right? We're operating in this Amazon sphere. I'm like, oh, we're crushing it. We're doing super well. And then you start talking to other startup founders and you're like, wow, we are a minnow <laughs> in, in the ocean. But that's good because it lets us think through, okay, well, what are the best practices in startups? We could treat ourselves like a startup. We're not a traditional startup. We're profitable. We're bootstrapped. But what if we took the best practices from there and applied them here? How could we stand out? How could we be different? So, and before, sorry, I want to ask this because I'll forget. So, yeah. If we want to, if we want to take those skill sets that founders and that startups use, and we want to apply them to the Amazon space, which I I think is genius because one, Amazon gives us the opportunity to really to be profitable from day one, which oftentimes in a startup you can't do. You got yeah. you got you got you've got a cap table. You've got you know maybe debt. Maybe you've got a, a grandpa who's going to give you fifty thousand dollars to get started or whatever. Uh, but what are some of the skill sets that you need to master, number one? Mm -hmm. And number two, where do we go to find the knowledge to gain those skill sets? Yeah. Um, and let me clarify. I'm not an expert, right? Like, I, I, I'm still in my journey. So I'm not going to be like, here's my 10 tips to hitting a billion. Like, I, I don't know. 
here's what I've learned and what, what I found true. There's a quote attributed to Einstein, but it, that's cloudy and, you know, but we're just going to attribute it right now. That basically every problem is one of two types. It's either a physics problem or a knowledge problem. Everything we are doing is a knowledge problem. We're not changing physics, right? We're not in messing with quantum mechanics or anything like that. So we need to get really good at finding and sourcing knowledge, which by the way, we have the internet. So kind of the best time in the world to have this problem. You have to get really good at clarifying the problem that you're having and then finding knowledge and finding those solutions. Cause I guarantee you, you're not the first person to have this problem. You have to get really good at stealing and copying from other people. School was really good at telling you, hey, don't cheat, don't work together. Turns out collaborating is fantastic and taking from others is not a bad thing, especially when they're literally publishing like five page blog posts telling you exactly how they did the thing and they want you to go do it, right? Okay, so we don't need to recreate the wheel here. So that first skill really needs to be learning. I know that sounds super meta and esoteric, but it's the it's the truest thing. If you cannot go from zero to 80 relatively quick, that's going to slow you down. Now, I have learning disabilities. I have ADD, dyslexia, and short-term memory deficit. So you so even from that point, that's my bottleneck. Great. I need to go learn how I learn. So I do that. That speeds me up, right? So you're sometimes you got to optimize yourself, right? <laughs> like and it's okay, right? You start where you start, but yeah, I would say start there first, right? Um, that's a big one. And I think strategy, strategy is so underrated these days. A lot of sellers that I talk to are just following what they're being told and they're not thinking. You need to use things like first principles, boil things down. Here's a good example. Um, I'm not growing fast enough. Let's ask why five times. Why aren't you growing fast enough? Okay, well, let's look at the data. Sales problem? No. I'm running out of inventory. I keep selling out. Okay, so sourcing is your problem. Okay, why is sourcing your problem? Well, I only have 10 hours a week to work on my business because I work full time. Okay, how many hours of that are you sourcing? Two. Okay, why are you only spending two hours of your 10 hours sourcing product? Well, I feel overwhelmed by it because I don't feel strong enough. So I go do these other things. Okay. Solution, go get really freaking good at sourcing and spend half your time, force yourself to spend half your time sourcing inventory. Problem solved, right? That's like a very micro um, like perspective on that, but even zoom out on strategy, right? Like what's, what's the overall strategy big picture? When a lot of sellers are talking, especially in the wholesale world, how do, how do you differentiate yourself? It's not just PPC and all that stuff. It is strategy. You need to think through what does that person want outside of money? If I'm talking to a founder, that's a different conversation than me talking to a sales rep because they're only going to hear 10% of my number. Great. So I know I can strategically throw out some numbers and you know we can have a, a quick discussion there. But you need to start thinking, where do you want your business to be at in the next five years? Here's an even broader thing. Why the hell are you even in business? And that's not a challenge but you need to get clarity. What's the point? Because everything, <laughs> I don't care what the business model is, is difficult. There's no easy route here. So if everything is relatively difficult, you get to choose 
which thing that is. So holding difficulty stable, so to speak, out of all the options, what actually lights you up? And if it's Amazon, that's awesome. Use that as a motivator, as a motivation tool to push through those difficult things. You got to have a why at the end of the day. And this, this honestly ties itself back to building a company versus a business. A business makes you money. That's great. It's awesome. Money's fantastic. I'm a capitalist through and through. I'm also a Star Trek fan. So I'm kind of like, hey, like, let's, let's do something bigger here, right? Building that company means you have a vision, a purpose for it existing. And it doesn't have to be freaking Facebook. I hate when people are like, be the next Zuckerberg. You're not. I'm not. It's fine. But you can decide why that exists. And it could be, I want my family to live at this, uh, this level. I want to be able to put my kids through MIT cash if they want to go and if they got in. Awesome. That's your freaking why. But a lot of people don't clarify that. They just want to make money and they want to be an entrepreneur, not realizing you got to have a reason to be that, right? Like you, you don't just go become a doctor. Like you should have a reason to be a doctor <laughs> at the end of the day. So, you know, biggest things for me are going to be learning and strategy. Those two things, you can figure anything out and you can have a reason for figuring those out. You can actually strategize what's a good use of your time. Right. There's one thing to be productive and efficient. There's another, th another thing to be very effective and efficient with your time. There's a big shift here in terms of growth and making things happen. Right. You could take somebody, have them work half the hours, but spend those hours on way more effective, impactful things. And they will outdo somebody who's working double the hours. We just don't talk about those kind of things. Mm -hmm. I, I want to focus on the why for a moment. Yeah. Have have you done any studying or thought about what is more powerful, intrinsic or extrinsic? Excuse me, extrinsic. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to say it. You I know what you. I'm saying? Motivation. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, which one? Which one do you prefer? Which one do you think is is more important and, and things like that? Uh, it's not which one is more important. It's which one is more important um, at somebody's stage of life. If you are struggling to pay your bills, it's external all day long. It's money. The moment you get to a certain threshold of, of income, wealth, and things like that, it becomes intrinsic. So for most people, unless you are living in your car and you are literally destitute and struggling right now, it's going to need to be intrinsic. Now, extrinsic is good because you can use it to become the catalyst for something bigger. Vindrive and Ore and all that stuff for me was intrinsic. I actually never thought it would be this big. What I wanted... And what I saw was an opportunity to build a platform to have an impact with other people, which gave me fulfillment. Right. That's why I love doing these kinds of things. It's just fun and it's enjoyable. Um, you know, so it, it depends on where you're at for sure. Um, in terms of, and there's a good approach here, by the way, a lot of people like start with why, you know, Simon Sinek and all that stuff. It's like, okay, but dude, like how, <laughs> how's that applicable? Peter Diamandis has some, one, he, he's a great writer. He talks a lot about the future, you know, from a very positive, optimistic perspective. Um, uh, the future is faster than you think. Abundance, great, fan fantastic books. He talks a lot about having an MTP. That's a massively transformative purpose. You can have multiple, but fundamentally, this is a very succinct thing that when you read it, it fires you up. And this is like a big like life goal kind of thing. So my MTP right now is to help the world transition to a world of abundance through technology and business. That is mine. And I read it every day and I really think about it every week. Now that is my North star. 
how does that tie back to what I'm doing now? Well, I have a high hard goal, which is basically like the path to get there, right? That's a, like your MTP is not quantitative. It's not easily measured. That's intentional. It should emotionally rile you up. Then we need to start becoming more quantitative on it. So my high hard goal is I want to build a $100 million business that fundamentally changes an industry. Now, the next one is my yearly goal. I want or to hit X number in revenue, right? We, we go from really esoteric to like business, right? And then what I do is every single week, I set three goals for that week that directly tie to massively moving the needle towards my yearly goal, which therefore moves me to my high heart and therefore to my MTP. I also do this daily. I have a daily checklist I go through where I go, great. I, I force myself to answer tough questions, by the way, because I'm not good at doing this. I, I actually have to answer these questions in Notion every day. What is the singular thing I could do, the, do tomorrow that would meaningfully move me towards my goal? If you answer that and you don't do it tomorrow, <laughs> you intentionally are not going towards your goal. So then what I do is I have you know a max of three daily goals. It's got to be tracked, you know, and this is not like a, you know, crazy spreadsheets. And it, it takes 10 minutes to be frank. But the point here is that you have a feedback loop and you're being intentional, not just about your life, but about your time. And you can very quickly tell, like if I get to the, if I get to Friday, I, I have a weekly checklist as well, which is similar to, to the daily, but a lot more in depth. I actually do like a burnout test, a depression test, because I suffer from that. So I'm always trying to see where am I at here? Like there are really good scientific tests for these things that are free online. So I just test where am I at, right? So I even create more macro feedback loops for myself. But what I'm doing is if, if I didn't hit one out of three, I'm like, I screwed up. I need to go back and figure out why. Or if I hit all three successful week, I have no questions asked. Let's move forward and set you know, success for next week. If you never define success, you can never measure it and you can never achieve it. Right. So for, for an Amazon seller, that very well could be, you know, let's just say it's a weekly, you know, up to three goals for, for next week. I like doing inputs more so than outputs because you have more control over it. If you're doing wholesale, call 10 brands. That's it. You know, you're making progress. Or if you know you're doing OA and sourcing and it's really just about time sourcing, increase my hours sourced by 30%. That's meaningful. That is truly meaningful if your goal is to hit X number of revenue for that year for your business. And your MTP may be to provide a better life for your children than what your parents were able to provide for you. Right, this whole like generational growth kind of thing. Awesome, mm -hmm. tie that back. But you have to be willing to do the work outside of just working on the business. This is why I like this idea of being a founder more so than a business owner. When you look at literature online for how to be a great business owner scratches the surface. Go look at stuff for being an incredible startup founder. You want to talk about depth of knowledge? It's insane. And it's literally like, here's what you're going to suffer from. Here's how to deal with it. <laughs> here's how to do, do this other thing. Here's how to hire. Here's the best resources here. So, but even language matters so much in our world. By using one different term, you, ex ex you get to explore a whole different realm of knowledge, right? And so I like playing with these kind of things sometimes and just shifting language randomly and, and kind of seeing what that rabbit hole is. Um, this is why I think it's super important to read like it's going out of style and don't just read business books, read all kinds of crazy things because you may get an idea. Um, but 
for me, it's like if you can get to that level of motivation, it's called a multi uh, motivation stack is what a lot of people call it, right? Your MTP down to your daily goal. I'm really big into flow lately, by the way. So flow research, um, right? So getting in the zone kind of thing. There's actually a ton of research here. You can measure states of flow. And flow is not binary. It's not your inflow or out of flow. It's actually a four stage cycle. So yeah, which is super crazy because once you know what stage you're in, you know things you can do to release to get to the next phase, right? So you, so you start with struggle and you actually have to stick with struggle long enough because if you go for dopamine, you actually just come right back to struggle. You have struggle, you have a release, you have flow, and then you have recovery. So that's pretty cool. But here's the thing. There are flow blockers and flow triggers. There's 22 known flow triggers. One of those is motivation. And it's a massive one. If you're not motivated to do the impactful task, it's not going to get done. And I guarantee you, you won't get into flow. A few of the other triggers are things like novelty, risk. Guess what? You're a business owner. Risky. Uh, everything's new. Novel, right? Like being an entrepreneur, being a founder is primed to get you in a flow state. And McKinsey literally did a research on this and found that executives in flow were 500% more, more productive. That means working on Monday for eight hours and taking the rest of the week off and getting the same output done. So imagine doing that when people are like, oh, I only have 10 hours to work on my business. I was like, why do you need more? <laughs> Let's use them better. You know, um, I had a, a tough day today where I, because I'm an idiot, apparently took a B6 uh, supplement without a meal this morning, didn't realize it, and it completely knocked me out for half the day. So instead of saying half my tasks are going to get done, I go, let's trigger some flow, and I actually got more done, right? So you got to start thinking about yourself, the business, right? This is where strategy comes into play. What are the blockers, right? Sometimes it's a business blocker. Sometimes it's an individual you blocker. Awesome. Let's work, let's work through some stuff. Let's grow, right? We got to grow as quickly as our businesses grow. Because um, to be honest, our businesses and our companies really won't grow faster than we will a lot of times. Uh, we become that big, big catalyst and a big uh, capacity limitation, so to speak. Um, so this is why it's good to read kind of broad, right? Like I know I nerd out about a lot of things, but it's just because I read a lot. I'm constantly looking for things that will unlock either a new perception, a new strategy or tactic, new process, whatever, just new ways of thinking about things. When we start talking differentiators, it's not just PPC. It's how you, it's how you approach the business itself. There, there are countless new versions of every business we've all experienced waiting to be discovered and, and executed against that it just takes one person reading one article, one book to be like, oh, shit, I could do it this way. And mm -hmm. it's completely, completely different. Just as an aside, and, and I don't mean to be, you know, the only one asking questions here. So, Chris, just tell me to shut up whenever you need me to. <laughs> but did you happen to listen to the Andrew Huberman podcast recently about using dopamine and, and getting into flow and things like that? So I did listen to that. Um, his podcasts are awesome. They're a little dense They're for fantastic. me. For, I, I'm not really good audio-wise. Um, for Flow, if you really want to geek out with Flow, um, Stephen Kotler is the guy for Flow right now. Um, I actually paid and went through their Zero to Dangerous Flow course. And with, I've gone through courses and all that stuff without a doubt. That was the best money I've ever spent and the most most applicable dense information ever in like such a great way. Um, they break down the science of flow 
so well that like I could actually talk with a PhD about flow right now and have a real discussion. Yeah, I, it's fantastic. But it, but it, it's not just like super academic. It's also great. How does this work? How do we use this? What are the things, right? How do you become burnout proof, right? I deal with burnout pretty heavily, um, especially like emotional burnout. There's different types. Great. So what do I, I need to understand how to deal with burnout. What is burnout? Can you get tested for burnout? Turns out you can. Great. I can create a protocol here, right? Um, flow is such an interesting thing because it improves creativity. And flow is actually found out by, so the, the father of flow, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, good luck spelling his last name. Um, it's spelled <laughs> worse than it, it, it sounds, um, was actually studying, I believe, happiness and fulfillment. So when you're in, when you have more hours of your week in a flow state, you're more fulfilled as a human being. I guarantee you can measure it. Um, you can measure flow from a brainwave perspective, alpha, delta, all that stuff. You can measure it um, neurochemically as well. It's incredible. It's such a, and it's actually way more documented than people think. So when people are like, oh, I'm in the zone, I was like, but are you? Because like, there's a very clear difference from like, I'm productive to I'm in a flow state. Um, and I've got to a point now where I'm using triggers to push me into flow. And it's not just getting more done. Again, it's getting the more impactful things done. So a lot of what they talk about is um, not just tasks, but accurate tasks. And accurate means impactful. Right? You, you determine what's truly going to have a meaningful impact and you deploy flow towards that thing. There's also a thing um, I've been testing this called the one day month. It's, 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 it's kind of grueling and it, you can mess it up, but you take one day a week and I usually do it on Fridays because I don't go into the office and you have three to four flow blocks of three to four hours and you have to have recovery because if you don't have recovery, you just immediately burn out. And the idea is you take your biggest, most you know, meaty projects, you break it down, you deploy flow, you go through that cycle, and you might take two hours off between each flow cycle to do recovery, right? You're going to go get a massage. You're going to go in nature. You're going to go take a cold shower. You're going to get you know, nourished you know, with food and all these things. But the idea there is you're getting a month's worth of actual impactful work done in a day. And it takes a lot of scheduling, but it's it's pretty cool. So there, you know, right? Like, we, I geek out with this kind of stuff, and I wish more people did because if if the average seller would be willing to read a few blog posts on this kind of stuff and and actually execute against it, that alone is a differentiator, in my opinion. You are outpacing and making way better decisions in a more creative headspace than anybody else. You know, you can have somebody who has way more money than you and way more time than you. And you can completely dominate them with a fraction of the time and hardly any money. It, it's absolutely bonkers. You're going to send me the blog posts that you're referencing here, right? I'll send, I'll send it to you. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah. CC me. They'll be in, they'll, they'll be yeah. in the, I'm just going to be they'll be in the show notes. Uh, I'll put yeah. them in the show notes for everybody. It, to, it was an expensive read. course, but uh, Stephen Collar does have a book. Um, I think it's just called, I haven't read the book because I went through the course, but the book apparently like covers a lot as well. So it's like a really good starting point. But um, mm -hmm. Stephen Kotler has so many podcasts, so many speaking events that he's gone relatively in depth on this. Um, so you can get, you know, zero to 60 pretty quickly overnight. Fantastic. I'll, I'll send you everything. Perfect. Thank you.
Hey guys, wanted to take a quick second and thank you for listening to the Clear the Shelf podcast. My magnanimous co-host Chris Rasick has put together a gift for you for being a listener. It's called the Monthly Goal Tracking Spreadsheet and it's free. The spreadsheet will help you break down and track how much you've purchased, which should be a leading indicator of how much you will sell. And then you'll be able to track how much you've sold as well as your estimated monthly profit on a daily basis. This will all feed into the daily averages so you can ensure that you're on track to meet your goals each and every month. Grab it for free today over at cleartheshelf.com forward slash goal dash tracking. Thanks again for being a listener. Now back to the show. All right. I'm going to try to bring it back a little bit more to some tactical stuff uh, because that was that was deep and heavy, but fantastic. <laughs> um, all right. So we talked a lot about like skill sets, strategies, let me ask, ask you this. What do you think are some of the most important first principles that Amazon sellers could use in their business right away? Hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think breaking down what you actually do. I think it's very easy to see all this data and uh, data is fantastic, but if you don't have a really good way of synthesizing and distilling that and making it actionable, which a lot of sellers don't, um, it just becomes overwhelming. And so I, I think you need, you need to really clarify what are the tasks that actually have an ROI, right? So for me, I realized when I was making the transition from RAOA to wholesale, it was easier for me to go source at Target for 10 hours a day because I knew it would make money pay the bills. I realized though, the only way to get good at, at sourcing wholesale was just doing it. It was sales, right? So you also need to like question, what is the skill set you're actually doing here? I've always said wholesale is not a sourcing method. It's sales. It's all you're doing. You are selling somebody on the opportunity to give them your money, which is weird and twisted, but that's truly what you're doing. So you need to get clear on what skill sets are you are, are required of you to succeed in the model you chose. And then how do you go and become really good at those things, right? You can mimic people, read books on it all day long. That's not that's not really a problem. But if you don't know really what you're doing in terms of defining it, you can't go get help and you can't really exceed at it. Um, so I think that's super important. But at the end of the day, I, I realized and I, I used to have a blog post about it. I think it got lost, but uh, actually it might be on VendriveCRM.com's blog. But I basically broke down a flow chart of a wholesale. And it was like four things, right? Like, and I even like put it into like departments just to like make it more complex. But I was like, honestly, you can fit this on a napkin. So a lot of times what we're doing is making things more complex than they need to be. We need to be simplifiers, mm-hmm. right? It, anybody can make something more complex. <laughs> That's not a skill. True genius is making something simpler, right? So you need to be thinking about those things. If it's your sourcing, how can you make it simpler? Ask hard questions. I love, and I've been doing this with our team, ask stupid, crazy questions and just try to figure it out because you don't know, right? A good example here is it takes me 10 hours a week to source a thousand units. Okay, how do you do 10,000 units in half the time? A lot of people immediately go, mm, I don't know if that's possible. Transitioning from that, which is a scarcity mindset, to an abundance mindset, which is curiosity, excitement, novelty, flow triggers. Uh, how do I do that? You might find something that you didn't know, right? So sometimes it's not just solving the obvious 
problems. Some sometimes it's finding the innovations you can you can create yourself, right? You might have a better way of sourcing that you developed that nobody else knows about, only because you asked the hard questions, right? It's, it's the quintessential: ask great questions, get great answers. But if we don't question anything, nothing no, nothing really moves. Nothing really evolves, right? This is why I love startup culture. Question everything nothing is correct everything is old here right like i made a decision yesterday it's already antiquated great <laughs> you know we just hired a new person on the team and i told her i was like question everything that we do now and question everything i say because it it may i may be falling trap in, or into the trap of we've just gotten comfortable doing it this way so question everything mm -hmm. why do you do it this way well why did you decide that initially right like <laughs> have me get to a point where i'm like Honestly, good question. I don't know. Let's start from scratch today. That works. Interesting. Okay. I, I want to go back to a couple of other things you said just so that we can, we can break them down a little bit. Sure. <clears throat> you said that you struggle with some learning disabilities. Yeah. I think that this is something that actually is much more widespread than people will admit. I know mm -hmm. that I've got a touch of the ADD. Uh, I know that I have some short-term memory loss. My, my wife reminds me quite <laughs> regularly. Uh, and so I want to know what have you done mm -hmm. to kind of get over those things? Because uh, I know that, you know, I'll be working on mm -hmm. something and of course, you know, there's a squirrel and I move on to something else. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm sure if it'll help me, it'll help other people too. Yeah, for sure. Two, two phases to this. Um, one is identity. Um, I was labeled in elementary school, so I was given that label. So my identity was of somebody who was told that you're not able to go to college, all these things. Or I was told my limitations and I believed them because I was a child. If you're struggling from that perspective because people told you you are something, you need to question the hell out of that. Because that limitation is not yours. It's somebody else giving that to you. When you can transition your identity from, I am learning disabled and I cannot do these things to, no, I have those things, but no, they don't, they don't hold me back, right? Um, so I transitioned my identity by making some really tough decisions. I went back to college full time and started another business just to prove to myself I could do it, right? And in, in that process, realizing I'm not stupid, I'm actually quite intelligent and well-read, <laughs> help me transition my identity to be able to do the more tactful strategies, right? Otherwise you're not going to do them because you're not going to believe in yourself. I, I just, I hate when people dive immediately into like do X, Y, and Z. I'm like, okay, but if you have this mental blocker, none of that matters, man. Uh, so get through that first. Um, the more tactical side phase two here is your brain is not meant to be storage. It's a processor. It's for creating things, for having ideas, not storing them. Now, there are people that do memory championships and there's nine palaces. I used to play with those things and that's cool, but that's not what it's for. Um, I'm a big fan of frameworks, stuff like that. Getting things done by David Allen is still an incredible read and is still incredibly impactful. Um, it's such an old book from like old school corporate America, but it's still so applicable. And the major things here fundamentally is write everything down. Everything. So I use, I use an app, it's on every device I have. It's called Drafts. And basically I just press one little button here and I'm, I'm just, I press it, right? I'm just in a blank page. I could just start typing right now, 
right? So I just do that and I'll store everything. And then I'll come back to it and say, what is this? Is it a task? Great, I have a place for that. Is it something I wanna store long-term? Great, I have a place for that. Um, you right, just like augment yourself. Here's the beauty, right? We're not cyborgs quite yet. I'm super into like the whole like Neuralink and BCIs and all that stuff, but guess what we do have? Tons of devices. I have literally an iPhone in my pocket, an iPad right here, and a MacBook. <laughs> we can augment ourselves pretty well. So just default to writing everything down and it doesn't have to be perfect. Don't worry about perfect notes or anything like that. You come back and you clarify. The idea here is you capture everything. Um, that on the short-term memory side is fantastic. However, I live based on my calendar. If it's not on my calendar, not getting done and not gonna show up, straight up. And that's why, you know, I'm like, send me a Cal invite. <laughs> I will for sure be there if it's there, right? So a lot of people think that's restrictive. To me, it's empowering because I now get to say, not in my brain, it's somewhere else and it gets done. And I just have a process of, I always look at my calendar and I operate for my task list, right? I'm not waking up every single day saying, what do I do today and what's on the plate? I go the night before, what tasks do I want to get done tomorrow? I throw those, I schedule those for tomorrow. I throw them on my calendar. When am I doing these things, right? When am I doing certain tasks? I don't like just having a task list. Tell me when you're going to do it. Are you going to give it an hour? Or are you going to give it five hours? Vastly different, right? So you have to clarify these things. And I don't think this is just for, you know, ADD, dyslexia, all these, like, this is just good for people. Right? It's mm -hmm. incredibly impactful for, for non-neurotypical uh, people like me, but it's still very impactful for, you know, neurotypical people. Um, so that's incredibly important. Take everything you can out of your brain, right? The reason why I have daily and weekly checklists is because I want to follow a repeated pattern, but I don't want to memorize everything because I'm not, it's not important. What's important is the outcome I get from it. So I will write a document and be like, great. Now it's on my calendar. Here's when I do it. I link to that document. I don't have to repeat that work ever again. Fantastic. A book I recently read and I've been following Tiago Forte for years, um, building a second brain he's got he has some expensive course his book just came out and it's honestly perfect it's fantastic actually he has this idea of a second brain which exists outside of you right and your second brain is just it could be physical but ideally it's digital it's an area where you can go and retrieve information here's what's great your brain is limited in capacity it doesn't scale your second digital brain can scale it can have terabytes petabytes of data Fine, not a problem. So what's nice though is by doing these things, by storing information, not just getting rid of it, you're putting it in, in unique areas. And what you're doing uh, based on his philosophy is, is putting things in areas based on actionability. So he has this concept called para, and that just means projects, areas, resources, archives. More actionable, least actionable. So, what are your projects? Great. What do you know about those projects? What if you already know things or your second brain already has knowledge on those things that you can now pull in from past projects? I recently did this. I had an area called hiring. We hired a new CSM a few months ago. I had to do a bunch of you know work and figure out how we're going to hire this person, what's the best practices here. So I did a lot of work. So instead of recreating that work when we decided we're going to hire a hiring or a marketing person, I'm sorry, I go, great, what do I already know about hiring? <laughs> and I pulled that information into a new project. I use Evernote for this, for long-term stuff. 
Um, I just search for everything hiring related, put that into one new folder called hiring a marketer. I'm not starting from scratch. It took us a few weeks to get up and running. It took me a day this time. I didn't remember all this, right? I put that somewhere else. I externalized all this information. Didn't mean I didn't get to use it again. It didn't mean I didn't retain anything. I'm just being more effective with how I manipulate information. Fundamentally, all we're doing, if we really think about it outside of like actual prep work, we're moving information around. <laughs> That's it. Even when you're purchasing things, you're moving information. So there are frameworks and, and people geek out with stuff like that, um, that you can go and read a single book and that book, I probably read it in like a day. It's not that dense and it's incredibly actionable. And heck, you know what? I actually took notes on it um, and created a summary. So it's actually in Evernote. I'll, I'll send you guys the link as well with all my notes and uh, the summary of the book. Awesome. It's fantastic. I mean, it's truly fantastic, right? So I don't need to memorize all these things. Um, I just store it all somewhere where it makes sense. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, and it's it's funny how much note taking comes up, you know, from mm -hmm. really intelligent people. You know, it, it's uh, even back to uh, James Altucher, skip the yep. line. You know, he, he recommended buying a big stack of uh, waitress pads, you know, the, yep. the guest checks. Um, yeah, I actually I just finished uh, David Allen's book uh, just oh, nice. a couple couple weeks ago, actually. Um, and it was you're right. It was it's still really effective. You know, it, it, yeah. it's a worthwhile read if, if anybody hasn't read it. I, I would recommend at least reading a summary of it because I think his book was a little too in the weeds at times, <laughs> like context and all that stuff. But, you know, just just understand, like capture, organize all that stuff. It's uh, it's fantastic. But it's little things like that, you know, um, and this is why I, I keep coming back to getting outside the Amazon world. If you're only consuming Amazon content, you're missing out on the bigger picture here. What are you really doing? You're building a business. Now, you need to understand what that business is, right? You need to understand that at a very deep level. But if you're missing the the more macro aspect of, of being a business owner, a founder, being a company builder, I mean, it takes one book, you know, it's absolutely bonkers. And I recently just picked up a Kindle because I got sick of having to carry so many books. It's like, I'm just going to get a Kindle. <laughs> I mean, I picked up a book the other, I picked up a book the other day that was recommended by Noah Kagan, um, Napoleon Hill's uh, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, because I deal with anxiety. Great book. 79 cents. I was like, instant buy. <laughs> Chapter three, I think it was, um, living in daytime compartments. Since reading that book, my life has been, or reading that chapter, just that chapter, I haven't even finished the book, has changed my life. Here too. Nice. I mean, it, it's these little things, you know, little, little things. Yeah. You know, that, that's a good point. Um, you know, about thinking outside and looking outside at just Amazon. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I thought about that before. It's it's because we're we're getting, you know, we've talked about how you have to wear so many different hats, you know, when, when yeah. you're an Amazon seller, you're, you're basically, you're spinning all the plates and you got to mm -hmm. keep them spinning. So, you know, if, if you think about that in a positive light, think about how many lessons, how many business lessons you're getting yeah. you're, or you're forced to learn, you know, simply through execution of being an Amazon seller. You know, it'd almost be a shame yeah. to not apply those to, to something else. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Um, you, you could be creating so much knowledge um, right now. You know, I, I wrote SOPs and documentations for Finn before we even decided to hire somebody for that role. You know, um, note, note taking, and I'm glad you mentioned that. It's it's so important. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. It's like, what's a note? But 
there, it, I noticed so much more than just random text on a page. Um, it, it's summarizing things. It's taking in an incredible book like I did. I highlight my Kindle books. I export those. And then I turn my crazy highlights into a succinct thing in Evernote that if I ever need to reference that, I can go there and read maybe a paragraph and get the entire gist of that book without having to reread the book. But that doesn't seem like that impactful until you understand that you're reading books that are meant to help you solve a problem. I did this with imposter syndrome. It's a major thing in startup world. And I very much deal with it. So I found a book called Imposter Syndrome, <laughs> read it, took highlights, export those highlights, and now I'm going through and creating a summary. So it's clarifying what are the actions that you know the, the author mentioned worked really, really well. Great, now I have those very clear in my brain, I can now go and take the other aspects of my life that I do well, which is like you know working off a calendar and great, say, great, when do I do these things, right? If it's a daily thing, when? Is it in the morning? Is it at night? Fantastic, and I just link to that, right? So I have this web of knowledge and and actions and events and all these things tasks projects that just work so well and it's not really that complex in reality but um they work so well that they reinforce one another and they they just make my life easier in terms of executing against things yeah and even even the act of taking the note itself you know that reinforces the concept Uh, You know, I've I've been studying uh, and reading a lot on copywriting. And that's one of the tricks that they say is is take great copy and just write it, you know, word for word, just copy it over yourself. And that's, you know, it's training your brain to recognize and then kind of assimilate it into your own creative process. Totally. Uh, I know that in our notes... This is highly optional. We're getting to an hour, and I, I want to be respectful of your time. I, oh, you're it's, good. You know, almost eleven o'clock on the East Coast. But uh, you talked about you've got a, a current obsession with working in VR, and yeah, I mean, I I've, I have to know why that <laughs> is and what that's all about before we call it a night. Yeah, so I'm super into this idea of like the future of work. Like, what what does it mean to be a knowledge worker in the next five to ten years? Because things are changing, right? Um, knowledge workers have way more leverage than they previously did in terms of having computers do more of their work without being an engineer. Um, I can now build things being not an engineer that completely automate things, right? And and that's fantastic, but let's take that a bit further. Um, I actually picked up an Oculus Quest 2, so a VR headset, and connected it to my Mac. And there's a app called Immersed VR. And you can basically create virtual screens in a virtual environment right but it's like hooked up to your mac so i like i have a video of me just working on like three massive monitors and like this random lodge playing like you know spotify and all the things and it was cool because i you know there's no distractions outside so to speak and you have full control over it but that's cool as like a first iteration of it what gets me really excited is, is this idea of like spatial computing meaning it's not just your laptop what what does it look like to source inventory in vr these kind of things get me excited what, what happens when you have access to better workflows where you're in a virtual environment, as an example, let's just call it a, I don't know, a cool lodge, right? And on this wall, you just have a great dashboard of high level metrics, right? Just constantly updating. You're like, cool, everything looks good. You walk around, you go to another, another area and uh, you have, let's say panels that you can press a button and kick off workflows. That could be creating tasks, that could be automating certain things, that could be um, 
you know, a better sourcing flow kind of a deal, right? What happens when you can just put on a pair of glasses or a pair of goggles, whatever, have and design this environment to be highly productive and impactful for you as, a, as the user. And when you're done, you just take it off and that's it. I mean, the, the, the fact that it's so minimal and, and it's so mobile is incredible. Like a laptop is, don't get me wrong, but I don't know, there, there's something to this idea of optimizing workflows and making them more automated. Like what, what if you actually could have a process where you kicked off TA as an example, it returned back, you know, the, the products that make a lot of sense. You had that on the list, you kick off another process that says all these are good, buy them. That happens. The moment that happened, it got kicked off to your prep center, you know, with, with, with orders there. You're done for the day, right? Great. But let's say you you got some more time. You're like, you know what? I kind of want to dive deeper into some of my data here. So you pull up some of the data and you're looking at sales. You're like, you know, sales are a little bit slower. I wonder why. If you're using some intelligent system, that system might actually tell you why and what optimizations to make. Right. So what what if this the 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 systems that you're using are actually giving you the things you need need to do to optimize? Instead of you having to analyze all these things, it was like, hey, listen, we did that for you and like for sure if you make this change, it will have a meaningful impact. So you transition from having to be this researcher and, and master of data to abstracting that away and what you now are is the decision maker. You decide what happens when and how, right? But it, imagine taking a, you know, sourcing as a process, right? Let's let's just call it twenty steps. What if you could get it down to two? What if you what if, what if you could realistically get it down to one? Imagine that time saved. Imagine where that time could go. Um, that's the kind of stuff that gets me excited. So it's not just VR as a thing. Like I'm actually not super much of a VR fanatic. I like augmented reality more than VR, but it's this concept of what do things look like in the next five to 10 years? And these are things we need to start talking about as a community because startups already are, right? Like, again, this is why it's good to get outside of the community from time to time is you need to start thinking about these things. And it's not that like you got to get on it now because the world is changing. It's like, no, honestly, this is like realistically 10 years out. But this is just one use case of thinking about things slightly different, right? The reason why I initially got into like automation and stuff like that was because I was like, there's got to be a, way, a better way to do it, right? So you start looking at tools like Zapier. Um, you pick up a little bit of coding in Python because you're like, I need to hit that API and I just want the data. Let me just write the code myself. You start to add new tools to your arsenal, so to speak, to solve some interesting problems. But then... First principles, take everything down. You know, what would that look like in 10 years? What, what would it look like today, right? Th ask crazy questions. What, you know, what if you're just not an Amazon seller? You're a tech-enabled Amazon seller. What does that mean? Sorry, AirPods died. Um, yeah. So you need to just start thinking differently about it, right? And that's where that novelty and excitement comes in because it may not be VR, maybe something completely different, but I, I like coming back to these differentiators and it's not just sourcing and all that stuff. It's how you do certain things, certainly, but um, 
what would it look like if your entire business was digital? As in, you didn't have an office, you didn't, and, and, and it could always change, it could always expand, right? Um, what happens when you build a team and you've never met in person and your team size is 20 people and it's highly effective, but you have a completely digital office that you get to design and, you know, like all these crazy things. What happens when you have dramatically more leverage in your business than you do now? You have a lot, by the way, you have tons of data, access to capital, um, literally just the internet, <laughs> but taking things and saying, I'm going to put in less input, but get more output is leverage. In what other areas can we do this? You're, you're starting to see a few really good applicable examples of machine learning, AI, stuff like that. Like one good example, I haven't seen a ton, but like one really good example of what's called narrow AI. So it's a very specific task is uh, Clara Labs. I forget the, I think it's .com. It's essentially like Calendly, but the difference is you have an email address for Clara and it's national language. So Chris, if you and I are emailing back and forth and you're like, yeah, let's, let's talk next, next Tuesday, I'll CC Clara and say, hey, Clara, can you find um, a 30 minute slot for Chris and I next Tuesday? That system will now take care of that entire back and forth with you. Even if you're like, you know what? Actually, I can't do it Tuesday, can we do Wednesday? And it'll know if I have certain preferences and it'll be like, okay. And it will then create it, but it's like going back and forth with you. So it's actually writing out text. It's not just like, here's a link, it's writing it out. And it's a hundred bucks a month, which is like oh, wow. expensive. However, if you're <laughs> scheduling a ton of meetings, totally worth it. Like Calendly is cool. Don't get me wrong, but it's vastly different when you can have this dialogue back and forth because it's less rigid, right? So imagine other areas in life where we can start to have these things. This is why initially, like we were excited to get into repricing because it was this thing you could just kind of be like, do it <laughs> and like, forget about it and be like, cool. You know, I, I, I assign a strategy, I toggle it on. And then like, I get, you know, meaningful output from that little input. Mm -hmm. What else, where else can we do these things? Like a lot of tools make us more efficient and that's fantastic, but there's not as many tools that make us as effective or more effective, right? Like that's what I want. Mm -hmm. I, want I want it to be for sure more efficient, but first and foremost, make me more effective. How do we solve these crazy goals? Which is like, how can I source a third of the hours, but get 10 times the amount of units sourced? These kind of things, right? And a lot of that comes down to data. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited about a lot of these new things that are kind of on the horizon. Um, they're super, super exciting. Um, I'm, I'm kind of working on this weird concept where uh, I'm a huge Star Trek fan, so the captain's chair is pretty great. Um, I have this Eames Lounge chair in the background. I just ordered a split ergonomic keyboard, so it's not oh, nice. Yeah, it's completely split, completely separate. And I'm going to mount each side on the armrest, and I'm going to throw on a VR headset and just work in, in VR in like a really comfortable Eames Lounge chair. Uh, <laughs> it's like nerdy stuff, but you know, we're at the cusp of a lot of interesting tech getting to a point where it's actually useful. Um, yeah, I've been yeah. I've been kind of I've been toying with the idea like what does it look like when Dolly is the one creating lifestyle images and product images for you know physical products and yeah. you know you can you can take uh, you know Jasper and and whatever whatever Jasper turns into yeah. and feed it you know uh, Ogilvy and, uh, and all those copywriting legends and then spit out incredible right. copy for your, for your listings. And yeah. I think, 
it's going to be really, really interesting. Yeah, what happens when you can press one button and completely optimize the listing for SEO? Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this the other day. I was actually asking the team. I was like, hey, is there a way we can actually pull like some of the stuff and then push back listing changes? They're like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, cool. What if we built an uh, ML, a machine learning model um, that would optimize the crap out of every listing and all you had to do was press one button or just be like, just do it. And like every time you jump on a new listing as a seller, it just ran those changes for you. Obviously like that model mm-hmm. is like super esoteric and like, I have no idea if it would work, but it's a cool concept, right? It's cool to think about these kind of things, right? This is why I like asking crazy questions because it creates interesting conversations and there just might be something there. Um, like RAOA people in actually a lot of wholesale people are just aren't going to do SEO for listings. They're not going to do listing optimization, right? You got four units and you might not touch it again, but it, it is important because you could increase traffic by 10% as an example, right? And imagine doing that across 5,000 SKUs. Okay, well, nobody's gonna sit there and do that and be like, yes, 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 but what if it just happened, right? Like great technology is auto-magical, right? Like it should feel pretty damn close to magic. And we have so much data at our fingertips, it's finding those areas where we can make it feel magical. Um, That's what really gets me excited looking at the future and it's not just e-commerce it's across the freaking board you know i mean there's so much stuff um like i'm big into like self-optimization right so i'm taking biome gut tests and i want to do levels for a continuous glucose monitor and i'm like cool i have all this data but what i would what i would really love to do is be able to pull up an app them have my data there and say only show me the three items on this menu that actually work for my test results don't show me everything else, just the three things. So I can avoid decision fatigue. I'm not tempted by anything else. And I go, great, awesome decision. Heck, do it on Uber Eats, right? I hate having to look at Uber Eats and be like, dirty Chinese, sounds amazing. Probably shouldn't have that. <laughs> but only show me the restaurants and only show me the menu items that that really work for me, right? So we, we have this swath of data, but it's what are we going to do with it to have a meaningful impact? Um, on business and on life, right? There, there's all these things. And this is why my MTP is that, you know, transitioning to a world of, of abundance through technology and business, right? It's both for me. Um, so that, that stuff gets me super pumped. You know, obviously there's there's nothing super concrete quite yet, but I'm experimenting with some stuff and, you know, just kind of thinking about it. Awesome. Okay. I want to I wanna touch on a couple of things before we wrap up here. One, I know that there are some, things coming down the pipe at Aura. And I want you to promise that when you're ready, you'll come back on and and we can like break it all apart and all that. I I can tell you some stuff now. Okay. So we are rebuilding and redesigning Aura from the ground up. It's a completely different application. And by different, I mean like code bases are like, we will migrate you from here to here. Um, We, Finally got to a point where we had enough capacity from the, the product side, engineering, product design, stuff like that. You know, for the, for the longest time, for a handful of years, we were just playing catch up, right? Bootstrap, small SaaS company. Um, and we didn't really want to raise money, to be frank. We didn't feel like we needed to. Um, but we finally got to a point where we had an amazing team and we're like, we got to move over to the SVA API. If we were to rebuild Aura now or build, just build Aura now, would we build what we currently have? We're proud of it. Don't get me wrong. Um, but no, it would be different. We've learned a lot over the years. Um, 
there's a lot of performance we can we can you know ink out there's better ui ux you know more features you know we have all this data feedback that we're like we can finally execute against so instead of just bolting things on <laughs> to old aura as we now refer to it we're like let's just build it from the ground up for scale make it easy for the team to add features make it easy to add new integrations and that's what we've done so we've got a product designer from crayon and quantopian like awesome startup guy incredible designer honestly <laughs> i'm super impressed um our back-end engineer who's now our cto justin he's from uh, amazon web services so aws incredible incredible technical person we built out the csm team so the customer success team so there's finn and abby now um and as of yesterday i made a blog post or a, a job post should i say for a marketing person to take that on right so we're taking everything and we're amping it up from the operations, the marketing and growth to the product design, all these things. So we're essentially breaking this out into two different phases. Um, the MVP scope, as we're calling it, um, which is going to be like the first big like zero to one, like you're going to see old Aura and now see new Aura. A lot of features in there for sure. There's a lot on the back end post that launch as well. So um, the listings table is getting a massive, massive update. Um, it's going to feel familiar in terms of how it's structured. So you're not going to feel... It's not going to feel foreign, but you're going to see a massive amount of enhancement in terms of, you know, the data you're seeing, how you're seeing it, how you're, you know, customizing how you're seeing it. So there's going to be a lot here. Um, the listings page, I'm, or yeah, the listings page, the table view, I'm super proud of because that's been a very big pain point for a lot of people. So we're, you know, adding things like feature or uh, filters and uh, allowing you to essentially decide which columns you see and don't see and in what order you see them in, right? So customizing that. So the user experience will be, you know, much, much better. So essentially, I mean, we're creating a pretty kick-ass product, to be frank. Um, the goal here was how do we make the make Aura 10x better as a product, first and foremost. Um, and so that's what we're doing. So, you know, we're probably going to be closer to Q1 to get that out. It's, I mean, it's a big mm -hmm. project, obviously. But, uh, yeah, we're well underway. We're, like, more than halfway through that rebuild now. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I'm stoked for that. All right. Uh, where where can people find you? If they want to follow you on, what, are you active on Twitter, Instagram? What's the best place? Yeah, I'm not super active anywhere. Um, <laughs> I started posting on Twitter because I realized I could just throw random ideas there um, and it fits for some reason. So I am on Twitter. Um, I think it's just Dylan Carter, I think is what it is. I forget my Twitter handle. I'm not uh, super social. I do have a, a website, dillancarter.com, D-I-L-L-O-N, carter.com. Um, I recently revamped that too. So I have some writing on there. Like I, I kind of geek out with like minimalism, biohacking, startups, um, growth, um, handful of other things. So, you know, I, I tend to write kind of in those areas for the most part. Um, in LinkedIn, I'm, I'm actually a little active on LinkedIn quite a bit. So just search for Dylan Carter and you'll find me. That's pretty much it. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, and I know we've touched on a few of these, but best book, podcast, or blog post that you've read in the past month? Oh, God, that's, that's so tough. Um, you know what's actually really good? I'm reading Ashley Vance's biography of Elon Musk, and it oh, okay. is surprisingly phenomenal. Like, the writing itself, just the writing itself is, is incredible, but to go as deep as he did into Musk's story is really, really cool because it's very much like he sucks and struggles <laughs> on these aspects, but he's really good over here. 
so you kind of get to see this balance but it, it does as as an entrepreneur get me thinking differently from time to time where i'm like why why you know he just thinks differently and why can't we do the same thing and you know you, you, there's a lot of lessons in there that i think are fantastic another book that really had a well two others that really that stand out imposter syndrome is what it's called um it's by a uk uh clinical psychologist fantastic book a lot of people struggle with imposter syndrome and this breaks down why you have it the types you have and how to deal with it that has been absolutely fantastic um, also a quick read. And then the one I mentioned earlier, building a second brain, it sounds super nerdy and it totally is, but it's way more applicable. Um, and it's not written super dense. It's actually a really interesting read, but it is one of the things I like, there are a few things where I read it. I'm like, holy crap. I see the results of me executing against this, taking on this new hiring project proved it to me immediately. Cause I was just like, grab that note, grab this one, grab that one. I'm basically halfway done already. I need to add a few more things here. So those three have really stood out. Um, the other book I mentioned, Napoleon Hill, uh, how to stop worrying and start living. I haven't finished it there. It's really old. So there's some, th some yeah. stuff you're just like, ah, okay. Like he just rants on like a general that, that has like no relevance, like for half a chapter. But if, if you could just buy it for like 80 cents and just go to the chapter on living in daytight compartments, that's fantastic. And the whole idea there is, you know, past doesn't exist. Tomorrow doesn't exist. You don't need to worry about tomorrow until tomorrow is here. And so really kind of taking in today is it. This is all you ever have. And so making the most of it when you're done, actually relax and enjoy it. It's, it's helped me kind of take things that I would worry about for two weeks and just be like, that's a two week later thing. And like, I'm still forward looking and still strategic, but I don't worry about something until it's the day I need to worry about it. And that has been really, really impactful. Interesting. Awesome. Uh, final thing. I know that you come down here once a month, uh, but if yeah. you are in my neck of the woods, make sure to hit me up. I'm going to buy you dinner. All right. Oh, for sure. I, I was, I was telling my wife, I was like, we got to make it down to Tampa at some point. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Hey, I, I really appreciate you being on uh, being on this week. Uh, definitely gonna have to do this again. You're a heck of a lot smarter than me, so I, I appreciate you uh, coming in and dropping some knowledge on us. No, no, I just appreciate you guys letting me ramble and uh, me feeling productive doing so. So it's better than me doing it on Twitter. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, I think that's it for the pod this week, guys. Uh, gonna, we're trying to keep them under like 90 minutes. We don't often do that. But uh, uh, thanks again. Next week, we are going to hit a podcast. I think we'll do just like Q4 tactics and how to get ready and things like that. Uh, so make sure to be here next week. All right, Chris, thanks for being here. Dylan, I appreciate Good you, man. Thanks, Have guys. a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to Clear the Shelf with Chris and Chris. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a screenshot on your phone and share to Facebook, Instagram, or your favorite FBA group. And be sure to tag me and let me know why you liked it and what you'd like to hear more from us in the future. Also, I'd like to give you some free gifts for listening. Head over to rabbittrailchallenge.com and repricerchallenge.com for some free courses to further your business. Thanks for listening.